The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, Join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Connie, I'm on your, and I'm your host of House Calls. Welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to get a dose of my prescription for positive, uplifting, uplifting radiotherapy. First of all, I, I like to sh- start off. Now, I don't do shout-outs anymore because I don't like to shout because it makes me sort of upset when I do that. It's like I'm angry. So I'm going to call them my honorable mentions. I want to mention the following people out there who are listening in. I want to mention David and Misty in Scottsdale. They listened in to last, uh, last week's show on resilience, and they're uh, actually building up their resilience because they're awaiting their arrival of their very first baby any day now. So, you know, make sure you guys get plenty of sleep before the baby arrives. Uh, they're also an incredible couple, and I, very talented and actually quite famous because I didn't give you their last names. So I hope to get them on the show in the future. I also want to say uh, hello to uh, former naval officer and evidential medium Suzanne Giesman, who was our guest on last week's show. She did an out-of-this-world presentation at the Afterlife Conference in Phoenix this past weekend. Uh, I kid her about ectoplasm. We're not going to talk about ectoplasm today, but she knows what that means. Uh, Also to my old friend, Mac, who's undergoing treatment for his kidneys. Lots of prayers for him. And old Navy shipmate Dave in Oregon, who texted me last night asking about the show. Hello, Dave. I hope you you and Julie are doing great. Uh, When I came into the studio this afternoon, Susan... uh, Sandra Rogers, our executive director, came up to me, and, and I felt like going in front of the principal. She says, you know, I have, I have the statistics on your, your last two shows. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, as an overachiever, you, know, you always want to get straight A's. You want, you, know, you want to show how you did, even though my intent was to reach, at, to reach at least one person out there. Well, she sort of blew me away because she showed me these really great statistics. I'm looking at these right now in terms of how many people – uh, logged on to listen in to our last show on resilience, and it was on the day of the show last week. There were over 400 people, 429 people logged on to listen to that show. Uh, the first show on September 7th, there were 345 people listened in, and then people were so kind to go back to our first season, and that was four years ago, to log on to listen to those episodes. So thank you for listening in. What's even more interesting to me is the demographics, where the listeners were coming from. And we are international here on Voice America Internet Talk Radio. In the U.S., there were eight, over 800 listeners listening into our show the last two weeks. We had uh, about 50 people in Japan. We had Ireland. We had Australia. We had China, 
Germany, uh, United Kingdom, and we had two in Canada who I think are our friends, uh, Reiner Zim and uh, Kathy. So hi, guys. Thanks for listening in. I think the Philippines is missing there. I, I, we need to really push my... Uh, my kinfolk in the Philippines to listen in. So thank you so much, all of you, for listening in, and tell your friends to, to, to tune in to our show. As I came in today, I, I got up early this morning because my, my days are, are very typically atypical. That's all I can say it. They're, they're never boring, they're never dull, and I think that's a blessing because it keeps you interested in life. And so I started off early this morning with a live radio interview with a talk show host, Lillian McDermott, who is in Jacksonville, Florida. And Lillian's show, she's had it for the last seven years. She broadcasts almost daily. Uh, she broadcasts live almost daily. It's a talk show called You've Got a Friend. And she was formerly in the marketing industry for doctors and attorneys' offices, then became a certified life coach. And it's what I believe in is positive, upbeat message, which I think is outstanding. So I hope to bring her on our show one day, and uh, we'll be able to chat with her about her career and her message. Well, after I, I did that show, I had uh, two patients waiting for me. I quickly saw one of them was just a, a sort of an in-and-out visit, and then the second patient was an annual exam for one of my 300 patients. And this lady who had been with me, I'd known her for about 16 years now. And she's somebody I'd known, my gosh, ever since I was at the Mayo Clinic, and then she, she joined me in my practice 12 years ago. 87-year-old lady, delightful. Um, she takes care of her 91-year-old husband at their home. She's got corgi dogs, and she's got horses. She's amazingly trim and fit, but she finally admitted she gets tired. She really is starting to slow down at 87. But her main concern was stress. She shared with me she was watching the PBS documentary this past week on the Vietnam War, and she was reliving that difficult time in her life and that difficult time in our history and how it impacted her family who were eligible for the draft then. And so she expressed being stressed out about that era, about going to war again with the latest news about North Korea, and then the hurricanes and the earthquakes. And the more she spoke, the more anxious and the more short of breath and the more tense. And I decided to hold off taking her blood pressure at that time. So as I told her, I said, listen, what you're feeling and what you're seeing is everything is coming from the media. It's from the news on TV, it's on the radio, it's what you read in the paper and which paper, and it's, it's almost, you're believing all of this. Are you really trusting the things you're hearing and seeing? And most importantly, how are you reacting to it? How is this impacting your life? And you have a choice, what you decide to listen to and how you react. So I told her to do this, turn off, that negative news, stop listening to it. When you find your heart rate picking up, don't listen to it, turn it off. And I really believe our environment controls our emotions and how we feel overall. Uh, one of the f studies I really enjoy quoting, it came out back in the late 1970s. It was a study by a Harvard psychologist, Ellen Langer. Uh, and what she did was she studied the impact of how people react to their environment. And the way she described it, we call it the counterclockwise study. And it was like, what if? What if we took a group of men in their 70s, we put them in a house that's decorated and pitched as though it were back 20 years prior, as though you brought them back in time to when they were 50 years old, 20 years earlier. 
And then you measure them before you put them in this house. You measure their height, their weight, their eyesight, their dexterity, their appetite, their mood, how they look. You measure various things. Then you put them in this setting 20 years ago, as though they were living in 20 years ago, and then you monitor them, and then you test them later, five days later. What would the results be? And the results came out in her book called Counterclockwise Study, and they were interesting. They behaved as though they were 20 years younger, including their memory in terms of how sharp they were. They were taller, if that's possible. They were lighter. Their posture was better. Their vision was better. Their hearing was better. They even look younger. I find that incredible. Uh, they've used a lot of this study in nursing homes where if you go in, they are playing music from the 1940s, the 1950s. And a lot of times what I do is when I'm listening to the radio, I turn back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, happy times when I was a lot younger. And you just feel like I have more energy. It just gives you, puts you back in that state of mind of what you were like way back then. So something to consider when you're, you're being bogged down by what's going on in this world. Maybe you ought to consider what it was like previously when you were younger and more energetic. So it, what it, what, you, know, you wonder what to do. If you want news that's positive, optimistic, humorous, and light, it can make you feel better, all without any medication. So this patient and I spent about 30 minutes talking about the impact of the world news on her life, how to tune, tune it out, and how to tune into the good news around her, how to focus on positive things, the things that were making her happy in her life, and being grateful for what's around her. And at the end of the visit, she started to laugh, started to feel better. Then I think about this, and then I go to the time in our lives. Remember way back when, or you probably have stories about the good old days, as people say, before uh, we had cell phones. And in those days, there was a time that if you went to a movie theater and somebody had a medical issue, uh, somebody ran onto the stage and would ask, is there a doctor in the house? It's a very common phrase. Is there a doctor in the house? You know, you don't, you don't hear people say there's an attorney in the house unless they want to go sue somebody or somebody falls down and slips and wants to sue you. And then I wonder, you know, do they ever ask, is there a leader in the house? I spent nine years a, as a doctor in the White House taking care of the leader of the free world who lived in that house as well as his family. I was very fortunate to be a military officer for 24 years in the Navy, and I knew a lot of leaders, and I learned what it took to become a good leader. Uh, and as a result, was awarded the rank of Rear Admiral when I retired from the military. So having been a leader, having worked with leaders, and having taken care of leaders, I wonder, what does it mean to be a great leader? Today's show focuses upon the topic of leadership, what it takes to be someone who leads. Now, during my military service, I learned as an officer these five rules. Number one, the mission comes first. They drill that into you. It's all about what we're meant to do. What's the objective? What's the mission? It isn't about politics or personality or feeling good about each other or ourselves. It's about the mission. The second is the chain of command. It's our respect towards each other. Everyone has a place based on their experience, on their rank, and we give that people, those people their accord, uh, their respect due. And there's a way of things done. You go up the chain of command as you move decisions up. The third lesson I learned was take care of your troops. You're only as good as the people who support you in the field. The general is only as effective as the people and the enlisted people in the field in the trenches. You gotta take care of them. They are your people. They serve and you all serve together. 
The fourth rule I've learned is don't burn your bridges. You never know in the military that if you have a bad encounter with somebody and, you, and then they move you to another duty station, you're not done. You know, you wind up seeing them at the next duty station. In fact, they're your commanding officer. So don't burn those bridges. Make sure you, you, you know, you, you keep, you limit your number of uh, negative encounters. But the fifth rule that I learned that I really think is the most important in the military is you serve a higher purpose. You serve a higher purpose. And even that purpose means you may die for your country. Now, how many people are in jobs out there that you may die? And I know law enforcement, they may die on the job. Police officers, definitely, as we talk about law enforcement, but firefighters, there's only a few. Those people, including the military, may die as a result of their work. And they know that. You sign up for that. The military traditionally is known to produce great leaders. George Washington, the father of our country, the first president of the United States, was a general in the Continental Army during the American Revolutionary War. And when you look at history of the 45 men who served as the president of the United States, 31 of them had military service or an affiliation with the military before becoming commander-in-chief. One of them, and can you name this one? It's a good trivia question. Even one of those presidents was awarded the Medal of Honor. You know which president that was who got the Medal of Honor? It was Theodore Roosevelt. He was a U.S. Army officer in the Spanish-American War. He received our nation's highest honor, the Medal of Honor. So the military is a training ground for leaders. And the corporate world recognizes this. In a recent Wall Street Journal article, the headline stated, Corporate World Recruits Generals brings the battlefield lessons to business. The current White House recognizes that many of the senior level officials at the White House today have served in the military. And I think that's a very smart move. Not that I'm biased, but I know what good leaders are, and many of them are military. But let me get back to business here. Let me talk a little bit about my personal life. I have two sons who grew up in a household in which I was the military officer and physician. Their father uh, was an attorney, and uh, so he, that was his career, but his parents were in the military. My father uh, was in the military. My whole, my whole family background was military, U.S. Navy. So my kids grew up being military kids, moving, you know, different duty stations. Well, as a mom, I never pushed my sons to pursue a career in medicine, law, like their father, or the military. I told them it was up, them to, up to them to decide, with God's guidance, what path to take. So what career path did my two sons take? Business. My oldest son, Andrew, who's here today as a co-host and uh, helps support me in, in, my, uh, in my radio show, has a bachelor's degree and an MBA with honors from the W.P. Carey School of Business at ASU. Uh, my youngest son, Jason, has an undergraduate degree with honors from the W.P. Carey School of Business, also at ASU. He just took the GMAT recently, and now he's applying for an MBA program. So kudos to both of my sons for that. So in my personal life, business is the chosen career path for my sons. So when I look at them, and I, and I hope for, for success in their world, you know, what do they look at as how do they become good leaders in their companies and fields of business? Are they born leaders? I mean, do, are people instantly, you knew early on they were going to be a leader? Or do they develop those skills through training, education, or just hard knocks of life, you know, just along the way? 
So it brings us today to our special guest, who has been a leader in corporate America for over 30 years. And he has had the titles of CEO, President, and Chairman of the Board on his business cards. His name is John Weber. We'd like to welcome him today. And we're going to go to a brief break in a few seconds. But say hello, John, before we break, and then we'll come back and we're going to proceed with questions. Pleasure to be here with you, uh, Dr. Connie. All right. So stay tuned. We're going to break uh, for a few minutes and then come back and we're going to uh, interview John Weber, the CEO extraordinaire and our guest today on House Calls with Dr. Connie. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the president of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families, Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie.
So today we're talking about leadership, and I started off talking about my experience in the military at the White House and the fact that uh, corporate America looks to the military for, for leaders, oftentimes because of the lessons they've learned. And, then, and Andrew here posed a good question. Uh, is it a combination of who, who, in terms of leadership, do people who are already leaders, natural-born leaders, just decide to go into the military, or does the military make them leaders? So I think it's a little bit of both. That's a great question to explore. But I think the person I really want to uh, ask today is our, our guest, John Weber, who has been in corporate America over 30 years. He has an incredible resume, stellar resume. Uh, I have had the honor of knowing <coughs> Mr. Weber for over 15 years. Uh, he's worked in multiple companies, which he's going to share about those companies. And throughout his career, he became known as the turnaround specialist, the turnaround guy, helping companies that were failing and struggling. He turned them around and made them successful and profitable. So, John, I thank you for being here today. Uh, your resume is amazing. It's, it's intimidating in many ways. And when I look at it and all the things you've done, I sort of wonder about your life history, your life story. Did you plan early in your life as you were growing up, gee, one day I'm going to become a big CEO of a company, uh, run that company one day. I'm just going to run a company. That's what I want to be. Did you plan that? Not at all. Uh, and, in fact, uh, as I look over my life and my career, uh, which obviously have been intertwined for a long time, uh, I would have to say that my life has been a series of very sharp right or left turns in totally unexpected ways. Uh, you mentioned your background in the military, and, and I have tremendous respect and admiration for that. Uh, my early uh, experiences in life was I was in a program in Canada called uh, the Air Cadets, which uh, was a wonderful program for me. I came from a family of negligible means. I always had wanted to fly. They offered a program where I could learn to fly. And it was very logical, given the relative success I had in that organization, that I would go into the Canadian equivalent of West Point. And I had prepared for that from the time I was 12 years old until I was 18 years old, uh, spending every evening, all weekends, all summers, marching around Canadian Army bases, being part of that culture. And that was my aspiration. So you're going to be a military officer. I was going to be a military officer, and, and my, my desire was to serve and to lead. Uh, when I was in my senior year of high school, it was Easter break, and I was working uh, pumping gas and breaking tires at Sears Automotive. Uh, and was going home for lunch. I wish I could tell you this was this wild story of kids out partying and uh, uh, drinking too much. Not that I ever did that in my life. Um, but I uh, was driving home on a Saturday uh, to have lunch at home before I went back to work. Uh, missed seeing a red light. Uh, was T-boned by a much larger car. I was in an old Austin Cambridge. which had no seat belts, no padding, no nothing. Uh, was scrambled around the car like scrambled eggs and ended up paralyzed. Oh uh, in the gosh. hospital. Oh. Um, and so that, uh, there were some spinal injuries, and I was fortunate to be able to recover from that. Um, and the, but I did not tell them, I'd already been sworn in, but hadn't yet departed uh, for the college. Uh, and I did not tell the military what had happened to me, because the only way that I could afford to go to university was through the Canadian Military College. So I thought I could kind of schmooze one past them and, uh, and you know, work through and, and make it happen. Well, in a very sh in very short order, on arriving uh, at the campus and doing the you know the, the runs and the forty mile hikes and the packs and stuff, my back just blew up, and I was turfed out. Uh, you were what? Turfed out. Well, oh, I was okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thrown out, uh, <laughs> okay. tossed tossed, tossed out, oh. tossed out. And so, uh, 
w that story is interesting only because my observation now at this stage of my life that similar things have happened to me so often in my career uh, where I had a vision of I was going in a certain direction or had certain ambitions and uh, life intervened. Absolutely. So after that didn't go through, what did you do? What was your next job? Uh, my next job was working as a factory, uh, as an operator, member of the Oil Chemical and Atomic Workers of America at a Dow Chemical Polystyrene and Polyethylene plant. I was working midnights, afternoons, and day shift. Where was this? Uh, in Sarnia, Ontario, Canada. Oh, glorious. Oh, it was a... <laughs> unpleasant place oh dear and uh, but I was working so that I could earn enough money uh, to hopefully go to university and you know what's interesting is as I found so many of those experiences in life particularly early in life are tremendously formative so the, for, so sort of the lesson of the accident for me was uh, first of all I had to get back to walking and, and get back healthy and you do that by starting out wiggling your toes and then you wiggle your ankle and you wiggle your foot and then you get walking and mm -hmm. And you just baby steps, baby steps, and you just got to decide: Am I going to be helpless, or am I going to? And not everybody can accomplish that, but I think the people that do accomplish that all had to make that decision: I'm going to make this work. Whatever so it is that happened, you choose to go forward. Uh, the second thing is: so I had this whole great, glorious career planned out in the Canadian military, blows up, end up working in a horrible job that I just <laughs> hated with a passion. Uh, but made enough money to go back to university. And ironically, later on in my career, uh, I was working at one point for Shell uh, Canada and in lots of other uh, situations. Actually, as I moved up the corporate ladder, uh, I frequently had very large manufacturing organizations. And in some cases, very large manufacturing organizations that were unionized, that had a lot of people like I was. So you knew the culture. You I knew the culture. You knew I understood what the loyalty was. I understood what the motivations you were. Got it. And all of the things, so that became a useful tool in my toolbox as I moved forward. So how did you, after that, you went, you got into the University of Toronto, mechanical engineering. You did very well. You worked your way through college uh, there, graduated the top of your class as a mechanical engineer. Then you went to Shell Oil. Shell that, Canada. Shell Canada. In the tar sands. And, and what's interesting, again, I, I talk about the, the crazy um, shifts that your life takes. And uh, I had, my vision was to, uh, my ambition was to be a vice president of Shell. And your earlier question was, did I always envision it? And ironically, given my background, my family uh, culture and, and, and uh, family of origin, if I can describe it that way, never occurred to me that I would actually be the number one guy in a company beyond my scope of, of, uh, of seeing the possibilities of my life. Uh, so I envisioned myself at that point being some senior engineer with Shell and having a wonderful career with Shell. I went out, worked for the tar sands, and the Canadian government, and I was, I was having a ball. And in fact, it was one of the favorite jobs of my life. And I learned two really important lessons at that early point. One was, why was it one of my favorite jobs? And it was my favorite job, one of my favorite jobs, um, because my boss, at the, my new boss, and I'm kind of a freshly scrubbed engineer, comes in and dumps a bunch of files on my desk. And, you know, quite frankly, they were kind of crappy projects, right? The kind you give to the junior guy in the team. Well, it turned out that one of the projects was for a, a joint on oil wells. And one of the joints failed up at the project site where we were. And suddenly it was the most important thing going on in the company. And I had complete freedom to just get the problem fixed. Lots of support, lots of encouragement, worked all night, all day, flying planes around, getting equipment going. And having that freedom to respond to a crisis was incredibly exciting. And I loved it. Uh, 
One of the other things that I learned early on was I had my first really serious performance review. And the fact that the senior, uh, actually I remember his name, Jim Chambers, mm-hmm. uh, the senior engineer responsible for all these engineers around the company would actually sit down with me, close the door, and spend an hour mm-hmm. talking about here's what you're doing right, here's what you're doing wrong, here's what you got to do, here's what I want you to do more of, here's the things that are going to happen to you. And just that, that tiny bit of attention um, and, and personal touch had such a huge impact on me. As a matter of fact, uh, to this day, I still have a preference for Shell Gas. Now, uh, so that's 30 years later. <laughs> it engenders that loyalty that, uh, to people. So the, the hard turn in that career was that the Canadian government um, started to nationalize the oil industry in Canada. And so suddenly this bright, brilliant future that we had, or that we all saw working in uh, Calgary and Peace River, Alberta, um, suddenly got very bleak. And Shell liked who I was and what I was doing and offered to transfer me down to the United States. But um, there was a person in human resources at Shell who said, well, you ought to think about an MBA. I didn't know what it was. And then they said, and you ought to apply to Harvard. They'd been to MIT. And I thought, oh, yeah, right. And they said, well, look, if you apply to Harvard, I'll buy you dinner. And I thought, that's a hell of a deal. I, I'll, I'll do anything for a free dinner. <laughs> so I applied to Harvard and I got accepted. Now, the irony of this story is I didn't know where it was. Uh, I mean, I knew it was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but I, and I, you know, I'd seen Love Story, but I didn't know anything else about it. Um, and and I, I laugh about that today for so many reasons. First of all, I was utterly clueless. Uh, and I just thought, applied on a bet, and suddenly my whole life shifted in ways that were totally unexpected. Uh, and I threw myself in the deep end of this pool. I didn't own a blue suit. I didn't know what the Wall Street Journal was. I didn't know what a stock was. And I show up at the Harvard Business School. And I was terrified, absolutely, utterly terrified. In fact, I was terrified for the whole two years I was there. Um, but it worked out really well, and it really changed the way I thought about the world mm-hmm. and led me into you know, jobs with McKinsey and General Electric and Allied Signal and Honeywell and other things. But once again, it was, a, it was an example where running into what was apparently a brick wall in fact, turned out to be a magical turn of events. So you did great at Harvard. You graduated with distinction. What did Harvard teach you? Um, you know, it, it's a funny thing. Uh, I haven't been asked that question before. I think the substantive knowledge you could get off of, you know, remember, well, now, now I'm really dating myself. Back when I was a kid, there were matchbooks, and it said careers without college, you know, and you could, mm-hmm. you could take some kind of online training. And quite frankly, you could get the substantive knowledge from Harvard, from any local community college or just picking up some books. The difference was the environment they threw you into where uh, 80 people in a class, 10% of you are going to fail every class, 20% of you will get a, a better grade than average, and if you fail so many classes, they throw you out. Wow. So it was highly competitive. And you look around this room and everybody sort of introduces themselves the first day and you think, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> I mean, this person's done that. We had a major in the Marines and we had, you know, guys who'd worked at Boston Consulting Group and guys that had worked for McKinsey and guys who were investment bankers. And I was this dweeb from Canada. Uh, and so what I really learned was the value of, ex- of, of immersing yourself in an experience because it really changed how I thought about the world. Immersing yourself in that experience and also how part of the lesson was, damn, it's a big world and there's a lot of really competent, smart people around. Uh, and being willing in a relatively low risk environment, take them on, have them challenge you, and really to sharpen your ideas. So I'll never forget marketing class, 
fortunately they didn't call on me the first day called on a student and they said well what do you think you should do with field crest blankets well i should spend a little money on marketing a little mm -hmm. money is that like five bucks or five million bucks and that relentless probing mm -hmm. and it really taught me about the value of sharp thinking sharp responses uh and and being well prepared well was there anything that you look back now at 30 30 some years later that you wish harvard had taught you in preparation for what you saw in your business life actually there i've got to give them credit not surprisingly, they were a lot smarter than I was. But one of the classes that I was highly derisive of, um, and I, I sat in what was called the Skydeck, Sky Deck, which was you know the, the jokers in the back of the class. Um, and uh, one of the classes we made fun of, I mean, quite literally, we probably should have been thrown out of the school, was, a, was a, an effective writing class. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, the professor came in and, and was trying to teach these uh, very cynical, uh, very smart-ass business school students about writing. Ironically, that was one of the two most valuable courses I took the whole time there because I used to write in a very bureaucratic style. And if uh, one were to read anything I write these days, it's really short, really declarative sentences, really concise answers, and really concise questions. So I, I wish they'd emphasize that more. Uh, the other thing that I undervalued when I was there and I've become kind of a zealot about is the whole human resources part of the equation. Uh, part of that derision that I had at that point was I was a genetically a mechanical engineer and you know people issues are you know soft stuff and foo-foo and all that nonsense <laughs> and as I have gone through many many companies in situations from you know rapid growth to you know on the deathbed um, all around the world it's really clear to me that all of these companies anybody can buy a machine to turn metal parts or write software and, it, and it's so cliche and it's cliche because it's so true it all comes down to the people in the organization and how they're led or misled. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You, you've been the boss of thousands of employees, thousands of people. You've interviewed thousands of people, and I'm sure you've, you've fired quite a few people. <laughs> when, when you oh, you mean the, <laughs> how long have you been with us? Don't count tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. When you're hiring someone for your company, what do you look for? Uh, I, I actually have a, an interviewing, uh, uh, I'm showing my cards here because part of the value in this is a bit of the shock value. When you're interviewing somebody who's been uh, a business executive in some fashion or another for 15 or 20 years, um, you can do the math. You, you know, uh, the current laws say you can't ask how old you are, but if they've been in business for 20 years, you know, mm -hmm. most of us can do the arithmetic. And you say to them, now tell me about high school. And everybody gets this shocked look. And then they start to fumble, and then they start to think about high school. Now, what am I really asking them? I could care less about high school. What I care about is what were the formative experiences early in their life, and how did they make decisions? How did you decide to go to engineering or finance or human resources? How did you decide which school you went to? What were the influences? What went well? What didn't go well? And what I've observed over time is that those patterns are established early in your life the patterns of how you make decisions and for most people not for everybody for most people you see that pattern enforce reinforce and and get deeper as they get older you know you've been the leader and you've had people work with you and you've been influenced by other leaders is there your what's your philosophy about what it takes to be an effective great leader you know that so much has been written about that by so many really really smart people doing a ton of research um, and so I have trouble thinking of something that I'm going to say that's going to add value to the equation but but as I thought about uh, our discussion today 
um, you know, one of the most important things, and it's, you mentioned it in your opening uh, monologue, and it's sort of from the military, but sort of in a civilian context, it's really about clarity. Now, you called it mission. I call it clarity. And what I have, what I have found is that leaders that are able to articulate a vision with clarity, but more importantly, be able to focus and, and brush aside all the distractions, all the nonsense that's not core to delivering success in whatever the mission of that company is. So it's really uh, clarity and as being willing to say yes to many things and as being willing to say no to a whole bunch of other things. Um, so to me, it's clarity, it's commitment. And leaders that I've observed show tremendous commitment and they show it in little ways. One of the things I learned early in my career, partly by observing my own reaction, uh, and that was you watch what leaders do. So if leaders are, um, uh, well, just, just to make it a uh, uh, personal story, when I was running a large uh, segment of Honeywell, I had access to a company jet. Um, and I'd have to go back to Morristown, New Jersey frequently to uh, do business reviews. And I could have used the corporate jet. Problem is, it cost 40000 bucks to fly to New York and back. And I couldn't get my head around, uh, how am I going to spend 40000 bucks when I can buy a business class seat for you know 500 bucks, and then go back to the employees of my company and say, what are you doing spending that money? Or we can't hire two more engineers. Employees all the way down the organization watch like hawks and they talk about what you do. They talk about what kind of car you drive, they talk about what hotels you stay in. And so if you're going to really truly be um, a, a, a leader, it's showing that commitment. It's being, and I, I've got to criticize um, uh, the current dean of the business school because I couldn't disagree with him more. He gave a speech recently where he talked about the fact that someone told him he's got to be the first guy there and the last guy to leave if he really wants to lead this institution. And he was saying, oh, that's unfair to people who can't make that kind of time commitment. And I say BS. I say people are watching you're committed. People are watching. Are you the guy that when you're walking through on second shift, they see you're still there? Are you, they, are you the guy that when, you know, it's, uh, you know, 9, 10 o'clock at night, guess what? They drive by the office and your lights are on and you're sitting there working. And to my value system, that's completely appropriate and it's the way it should be. And so I think demonstrating that commitment in everything you do because everybody's watching. And then the last one is something uh, tangentially that, that you mentioned was uh, comradeship. And I call it comradeship or, or companionship, but it's really building that team around you, people you trust, people you value, getting the greatest players you possibly can on your field, and also getting the, 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 uh, the people who aren't great, getting them the hell off the field quickly. Awesome. So you're, you've, your three C's are clarity, commitment, comradeship. But you should, you should write your book. I keep telling you that. So I'm, we're going to pause for a little break and then come back. We'll wrap it up. And I've got some questions about what life is when you retire, if that's even possible. So everybody stay tuned and hang in there. We're, we're, we're almost done. We just got a little break and we'll be back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Our nation's educational system is undergoing constant change as technology and society are redefining the system as we have known it. On Chalk Talk with Eric Hamilton, we provide parents with the resources they need to understand and become a part of the educational experience for their children. Through engaging guests, news, interactive discussions, and innovative ideas, it's everything that parents should know about school. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families, Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back to our show on leadership, and our guest today is somebody who's a proven leader in that field, who's had a fascinating life that he hadn't planned these things happening, but it's a life that actually has shown tremendous resilience, and I was going to ask John Weber, who was our guest today, to share probably one of the lowest points in your life, because people will think, oh, you're a CEO, everything's a piece of cake, Harvard MBA, you work for, uh, you know, general, you know, GE twice, uh, McKinsey, Baxter Healthcare, and then, but but they always think, oh, you know, you've just rose right to the top. And a lot of people don't realize the difficulty, what a tough life it is. And can you talk about the probably the lowest point was your uh, your experience and how it gave you an opportunity to make it shine? Sure, and that's a that's an easy question for me in the sense that it's uh, stark and vivid. Um, after I uh, I um, uh, left Honeywell. Uh, I worked for a, uh, uh, a company that was uh, controlled by a Dutch family and did that for about five years here in Phoenix that 
came apart in uh, in part because of the dynamics of family businesses. And uh, I was warned before I went there, don't ever go work for a family company. I said, how bad can it be? Well, it could be pretty bad. <laughs> um, so uh, at that particular time, uh, I'd been fired. Uh, I was, uh, I'd been through a, uh, an awful divorce, uh, subsequently a terrible relationship that blew up. I couldn't afford to live in my house. I had uh, my son and daughter who are, are wonderful kids. Uh, uh, one was at Duke and the other was at, at the uh, University of San Diego. So I was uh, funding all of that uh, tuition, living expenses. Um, I had no money. I'd gotten wiped out in the divorce. Um, I was homeless, heartbroken, unemployed, and screwed on every dimension you can imagine. And I was knocking on doors and trying all different hats on to see how the hell I could earn some money. And, and uh, I got a call about going to work for a uh, an auto parts company that was a little bit troubled. And the last thing I wanted to do was move to Anderson, Indiana in the auto parts business. Uh, but I'm a big believer when you're going through hell, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. As a matter of fact, the country was cut uh, the wisdom of country music. There's a song about that. You know, if you when you're walking through hell, just keep walking and sooner the devil won't know you're there. Uh, and and ironically, I went from a from that horrible position, and I took a job that uh, it was so tenuous in that company. I remember telling uh, the real estate agent because everybody's watching. Remember, I said earlier, everybody's watching what you're doing as a CEO, particularly a new CEO coming into an environment like that. Um, and uh, I knew I had to buy a house. So I, I said to the real estate agent, look, I don't care whether it's purple, pink, big, small, sitting on a radioactive waste dump or on a lake, I, I don't care. I need to be able to sell this house really quickly in case this job doesn't work out. And so I ended up buying this neat little house. Uh, and I, I'm fond of saying, you know, man plans and God laughs because as it turned out, uh, not only did the job turn out okay, despite some real stresses in that situation, um, but I ended up living in that house longer than I ever lived in any house in my life. So, uh, so not only did, was there irony in that, there was irony in the fact that so many times I thought I was in particular career roles, for example, when I ran international development for GE, thought this is the, you know, this is the gold ring, this is going to rocket me to the top didn't work out. I was in this company, it didn't work out. I was in that situation, it didn't work out. Here I go into this awful situation. And it turned out to, uh, after seven years of very hard work, um, be a success. Uh, we were able to take it public and I was able to retire uh, to a wonderful lifestyle. So, so it's that never give up, try that opportunity, even if it doesn't look like what you want or where you want or isn't the best thing in the world. Hell, keep walking. Keep slugging. Don't ever quit. Never, never, never give up. Winston Churchill. Yeah. Well, that's a powerful story because it tells the people out there, well, even in the dark of, darkest of times, you kept persisting. You didn't quit. And you had the clarity and the focus, and you just kept moving on. And uh, what's life now? You're retired. Is life better? What would you say? I, I'd say life is fabulous. Um, I, I, my joke is uh, about retirement, I get up in the morning with nothing to do, but I go to bed at night with only half of it done. Um, to me, uh, re and the, the great irony is so many people said to me, John, you could never retire, you know, you're a workaholic, you're so driven. Well, retirement is different, as many people have talked about. Uh, retirement, I think, is different today than it was before. Um, I have sports that I'm passionate about and, and you know I'm, I'm, I'm beating my head against the wall in golf like many guys do. I race sailplanes. Uh, I sit on two uh, boards, uh, one of a medium-sized public company, another small one. I'm advising various banks on acquisitions and so on. 
But the beauty is I get to choose. And I can, I can say, gee, that's not very interesting. I'm not going to do that. So aren't I a blessed guy that I get those kind of choices and get to enjoy and spend time with the people I love and uh, enjoy all of the exciting things that this world has to offer. And the amazing part to me is the longer I'm retired, the more I find really cool things going on uh, that I can get interested and spend the time doing. That's amazing. You've had an incredible life. You're not done yet. Uh, you're a healthy guy. You've got lots of things going. You love to fly. You love to to do the things you, you're doing in this life. I mean, I think the lessons you've taught as a leader, one of the things as I look at your history and knowing the, the true leaders that I've seen in my life are, they are people who are characters and very interesting people, but they also have character. And there's no, you know, I like your, your the three C's of leadership that you brought up about clarity, commitment, Com uh, comradeship. What my theory is, because I'm more of a physician and also a Navy doctor, I say that you know great leaders have three things. Is a balance of three things. You have to have brains, you have to have balls, and you have to have heart. So I really think you know you you've exemplified that in in your life and what you've done. And I think what's impressed me is how you turn around things. You're the turnaround guy, but you also turned around your life. You didn't just quit and say, okay, I'm just going to let it go. You kept pursuing it. You kept finding out. And, and I think the lessons of leadership are every step along the way, there was a lesson there that you applied in your next job, that it wasn't a waste. There was something that you learned in the tar sands and in northern Canada that you applied in what you did with Remy or any of the jobs or things that you learned about people, that every step of the way there was something new. And what they find in people now who change jobs, millennials, they, they change job what, seven or eight times? Multiple times. It isn't just one career uh, for the rest of their life. Is there anything else you'd like to add to our, our theme on leadership today? Well, what, what, once the, the just I had I'd forgotten about this, but as you were talking, I remember uh, I also got fired from GE a second time, although they did offer me a job a third time uh, to go back to work for them again. And it was in the most horrible situation. And uh, I was in the United States. I was Canadian citizen, didn't have a green card, had bought a big house, put all my money into it. And once again, <laughs> I was screwed. And someone said to me later, you know, that was the worst thing that could have ever happened to you. And I said, yeah, but you know what? I was committed to make it the best thing that could ever happen to me. And it was the worst thing that could have happened to me. Just as, you know, having that accident was the worst thing that could have happened to me. But, you know, it, it's all, and, and this sounds kind of cliche and a bit pithy and, and give me a break, but I really believe it's all about saying to yourself, this really sucks, but I'm going to make it great. Well, you acknowledge that. You're not fooling anybody. It's difficult. It's painful. You'd rather not have it, but you had the attitude to say, I'm moving on. You, you chose not to be a victim, but to say, I can beat this. I'm going to learn from this. And I'm going to move on. And, and you, you weren't planning to go to Indiana. It, it happened. You took it, and it became something incredible. It turned everything around. You know, for a guy who turns around, you got turned around. And in a lot of ways, when you look at how your life has, has evolved over those years, that here's, you know, growing up in Canada, thinking, you know, where you are now today and the type of lifestyle you have is being blessed. And I'm knowing you, you've, you've always been grateful. You've always been grateful, never took things for granted. And I think, I think great leaders have a sense of humility in their greatness. I think that's the thing that impressed me about leaders I've known. They, they can be incredibly talented people, very savvy in their business field, very wealthy, but there's a sense of humility where they remember where they came from. And they, and, and they have a sense of, 
appreciation about where that is. And then they also have that vision about how to make things great and how to make things better. So I thank you for your, your time today. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we close in the next few minutes? Well, just just um, a Weberism. And when I retired from, uh, from Remy, they gave me a book of Weberisms. I have many of them. Some of them are not appropriate for radio. Um, but I'm fond of saying it, you know, if you're a good guy, it's a small world. And if you're an asshole, it's a really small <laughs> world. Um, and it's funny how in and out of your life can come people and, and you forget, uh, or I'm not saying that meanly, but you know, life moves on. And then you walk into a, a meeting. I did this, it happened to me this week. Uh, I was uh, advising uh, uh, an investment bank on an acquisition, walked into the company, turned out that the fellow who was running manufacturing used to work for me five, seven years ago. And it was so neat and so rewarding. Um, and, and he made a point of saying how much he'd learned working around the team I'd assembled and so on and so forth. And that to me has become the most rewarding thing as I look back over my career is the wonderful relationships, some really truly special people uh, who've made a tremendous difference in my life and other people's lives. And it's funny how they come back and forth into your life at the most unexpected times. You know, I think in a lot of ways that's that's the power of human relationship, that you touch lives. And if everybody can focus about how I interact with everybody, how can I make that to the point where I impact their life in the best way possible? How can I make this person's life better in a positive way? I mean, what an amazing world it would be that that interaction would lift us all up. So thank you to, for today for having the time to visit with us and sharing your career and your pearls of wisdom. And and to everybody out there, you know, I, I please, you know, everyone knows a leader, great leaders, but think about uh, about what it really takes to be a good leader and to appreciate it, but also the fact that these people who are leaders uh, are a beacon of light and, and inspiration for us, and that the hardships are everywhere in the world. It's how you choose to view your hardship and then to move on and to succeed. And if it's not the path you envision, maybe it's a better path than you can ever imagine. And so you ought to go with that. So thanks for listening in today to Dr. Connie's House Calls. We hope you tune in next week. So have a blessed day. Take care. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.